Last week we saw that the Lord's prophet was running from God. We saw that Jonah hated the Assyrians, whose capital was Nineveh. The thought of seeing the wicked Assyrians come to repentance was unbearable to Jonah. They were, the Assyrians, the Isis of our day. Their king was the Kim Jong-un of North Korea of our day. They were a wicked people with pagan gods and barbaric practices. The Assyrians posed a serious threat to the northern tribes of Israel, that is, the ten tribes of Israel that had separated from Judah. In fact, 40 to 50 years after this book and after the events that are recorded in this book takes place, Assyria attacks and literally destroys Israel and takes captive the northern tribes of Israel. So the question is, how would you respond if God called you to minister to people that hated you? How would you respond if God called you to go and preach the gospel to ISIS or those that had done barbaric things to our people? How would you respond if God called you to go talk to wicked people who hated God? How would you respond? Well, we're all there, aren't we? We're all thinking on these things. We see it constantly. Are you remi- were you reminded any time this week, I bet you were, of people that hate you and people that want you dead? How would we respond and how do we respond to that? Well, I think today's message you're going to see that even when we don't necessarily want to, we ought to share Christ. Even when we don't want to, we ought to share Christ. We saw Jonah said, no way. I'm not going to them. In fact, instead of going towards Nineveh, he picks a place 4,000 miles in the other direction. Today we will explore God's response to Jonah's disobedience. Just to clarify, disobedience is saying no to God's lordship or his rulership. It is saying, no, I am Lord of my world, and I do what I want to do. This sin reveals the foolishness of our hearts apart from God, doesn't it? God is sovereign. Who do we think we are that we can actually disobey God and run from God and not do what God wants us to do and not suffer a consequence? If He is sovereign over everything, then that means He's sovereign over everywhere we're going and any way we choose to get away from Him. He is sovereign everywhere, all the time. Jonah fled from God's presence when this was absolutely impossible. Jonah tried to escape God's requirements on him, and that is impossible too. And we'll see, God makes him do it, even though his heart might not be completely in it. We'll see by the end of the book that. The reason Jonah disobeyed God is not directly addressed in chapter 1. We brought it in by reading chapter 4, remember? 
However, the book and the events establish obedience is required even before we agree with everything the Lord is doing. And I want you to get that and I want you to understand it. It's a key point. Friends, there is this truth revealed in the book of Jonah we all need to embrace. This truth is opposite from how our world thinks. Today, we see obedience to the sovereign Lord is required even when we don't like what He's calling us to do. Okay, I'm going to say it again. This is the main point. You ready? Obedience to the sovereign Lord is required even when we don't like what He's calling us to do. There are times in our life, everybody agree with that? There are times in our life where God calls us to do something that we don't want to do. Right? Like, avoid doing something that we would really like to do. Our flesh may say, ooh, I want to do that. But just because we like it or our flesh wants it doesn't mean we should do it. We should do what God wants us to do. Very simple. Submission, even when we don't understand why, is still required. Now, I know a lot of people in here, and, and a lot, even me, and I struggle with this. We all struggle with this, don't we? How many of you like to obey if you don't understand why? Anybody? Some of us will do it occasionally, but then when we're really pressed on to do something that we really don't like, we go, why? Give me some whys. If you'll just give me some explanation, then I'll do it. Anybody have that problem? But God doesn't want Jonah to go to Nineveh because he understands why. God wants him to go to Nineveh because... He said to go to Nineveh <laughs> because he's God and he's sovereign and we're not. And Jonah's not. Now, along the way, as we obey, there's this heart thing going on, right? It's, it's fighting it. There's a tension going on and we're, we're fighting within ourselves. Along the way, we should be praying, shouldn't we, as we obey. We should be praying this. We should be praying... Please, Lord, help me understand and embrace why you are doing this. Please help me to understand and embrace this. However, either way, help me, Lord, to obey and trust you. Jonah lacked compassion for the Ninevites, right? And this led to foolish disobedience of God. He rejected the sovereign direction of God, so God proceeded to show Jonah who is the sovereign Lord. And we're going to see God showed Jonah who was Lord in a very merciful, merciful way. The main point of today's passage, and by the way, think for a second before we go on. This book could have been really short, couldn't it? One through three. It could have been this way. Jonah went the other way. God smacked Jonah, raised up another prophet, and sent him. Would have been short, wouldn't it? But God showed mercy on Jonah in his disobedience. The main point of today's message, obedience is required because God is sovereign, not us. That's a good one for us to get in our minds. We can't 
obey God only when He tells us to do what we want to do. We've got to obey God all the time, even when He wants us to do something we don't want to do. If we are God's own, He will discipline us to get us to obey Him. If God doesn't discipline us, you better be very afraid. Very afraid, as the author of Hebrews states in chapter 12. We could very well likely not be His own child if there's no discipline and we continue to disobey. And there is no spanking, then maybe God is not our Father. And we're in trouble. The hardship Jonah faces on the ship headed for Tarshish is a great act of mercy from God. And it's a great act of mercy we'll see on the sailors too. God demonstrates his sovereign lordship overall in this passage. Let's look. We're going to read again chapter 1. Chapter 1. <coughs> you know what? I'm going to do it. Shane, come up here. It's a long reading, so I'm going to let him read it and save my voice. Sorry, brother. That's all right. What do you want me to read? I want you to read verse 1 all the way to the end of the chapter, starting there, to the end. Okay? okay? Got it. Got it. Read, everybody. Follow along. I got it. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah rose up to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. So he went down to Joppa, found a ship which was going to Tarshish, paid the fare, and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. And the Lord hurled a great wind on the sea, and there was a great storm on the sea, so that the ship was about to break up. Then the sailors became afraid, and every man cried to his God, and they threw the cargo which was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down below into the hold of the ship, lain down, and fallen sound asleep. So the captain approached him and said, How is it that you are sleeping? Get up, call on your God. Perhaps your God will be concerned about us so that we will not perish. And each man said to his mate, Come, let us cast lots, so we may learn on whose account this calamity has struck us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us now, on whose account has this calamity struck us? What is your occupation, and where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men became extremely frightened, and they said to him, How could you do this? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord, because he had told them. So they said to him, What should we do to you that the sea may be calm for us? For the sea was becoming increasingly stormy. And he said to them, Pick me up and throw me into the sea. Then the sea will become calm for you, for I know that on account of me this great storm has come upon you. However, the men rode desperately to return to land, but they could not, for the sea was becoming even stormier against them. Then they called on the Lord and said, We earnestly pray, O Lord, do not let us perish on account of this man's life, and do not put innocent blood on us. For thou, O Lord, hast done as thou hast pleased. So they picked up Jonah, threw him into the sea, and the sea stopped its raging. Then the men feared the Lord greatly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the stomach of the fish three days and three nights. 
Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this passage. We know that it is your word, that it is true, that it is accurate, that it describes miracles, and we trust you with those. Even in our own minds, Lord, we don't understand how you did all these things, really, but we know that you did them because you are sovereign and you are God. And we pray, Lord, that you will help us as we look at this passage to apply the passage to our lives so that we honor you. You are sovereign over all, and you deserve our obedience. You are worthy of our worship. You are the one who deserves to be worshipped forever and ever. So, Lord, we pray now that as we look at your word, <coughs> that you will help us. In Christ's name, amen. <coughs> Thank you, Shane. Our passage today reveals there are three realms of God's sovereign that God is sovereign over. The three realms that God is sovereign over include nature, the false gods of the pagans, and the sinners. We're going to see this as we go through that He is going to demonstrate that He is the ruler or Lord over them all. Let's start with the first one. God is so sovereign over nature. He is sovereign over nature. We all, all of us that have studied systematic theology and, and read our Bibles, know that God is sovereign over nature. But often we forget that God is sovereign over nature, and we fail to realize just how much and how intricate He is. For example, I have something going on in my body right now. I don't know what it is. It's a virus or a bacteria or something going on. The fact of the matter is, is that he's sovereign even over that, isn't he? Every one of those little things that are going on inside my body, he's in complete control of it. If he wants me to have a little cough, guess what? I'm going to have a little cough. He's sovereign over the smallest things, and as we will see, the largest things, the largest fish, right? He's the sovereign God over nature. It's important that we see it. Notice it's, we, we first start, he is Lord of the sea. He is Lord of the sea. Look in verse 4 and 5. It states, The Lord hurled a great wind on the sea, and there was a great storm on the sea, so that the ship was about to break up. Then the sailors became afraid, and every man cried to his God. They threw the car cargo, which was in the ship, into the sea to lighten it for them. So what do we see here? Well, we see that God is sovereign over wind. He's sovereign over the sea. He's sovereign over the waves. All of this happened because of who? God. You know, it's very interesting. It reminds me back to the New Testament account, right? Where there was a storm. And where was Jesus? Jesus was sleeping. And all the, all the disciples were like, Wake up! We're about to die! And it's as if Jesus knew, hey, this was all part of the plan. God's sovereign over this. He could sleep in the midst of the storm. Now, we have a different sleeping prophet here. But this one is a wicked one. However, Jesus was sovereign over both. He was the one that was sovereign over the seas at that time. And he's sovereign over the seas at this time. God is in control. And even if a hurricane comes through, who's in control? God. 
Do you understand that the, the world does not shake, an earthquake does not go off without God in complete sovereign control of that? Now, I know a lot of these things, we're like the sailors. When a catastrophe starts going, we try to figure it out. Why is this happening, right? The important thing for us to understand and to counsel our hearts, God is sovereign over all these events. That doesn't mean we bury our heads in the sand and we don't make precautions to try to protect ourselves. But in our protection, we also have to understand what? I don't care. No matter how much you protect yourself, ultimately God is in control of everything. And every wind and every storm. Notice second, He is Lord over sticks. He is Lord over sticks. <coughs> we see this in verse 7. Notice it states, Each man said to his mate, Come, let us cast lots to see, to, so we may learn on whose account this calamity has struck us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. What is this? Well, for lack of a better term, it would be like rolling the dice to figure out who's the one responsible for the situation. Casting lots was practiced by both false religions and Christian or believers also. We know this, right? Because what happened with at the beginning when uh, Judas had gone away and not turned back, God used casting of lots to point out that Matthias was the new apostle. So this was an event and something that would happen. They would throw these sticks on the ground and as a, time, a process of elimination, it would point to somebody. And as time went along, it can't be this one. If it lands this way, it's this guy. If it lands that way, it's this guy. And so by process of elimination, God in His sovereignty uses this pagan idea of trying to figure out the future to accomplish His will. These pagans were using it probably to call on their own gods and trying to figure out things. We'll see this in a little bit. But ultimately, God was showing that He was in complete control of the sticks and how they fell. Third, God is Lord who created everything. Notice in verse 9, it states, He said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Now at this point, it's, all, it's, it's intriguing. It's almost shocking. Because what's happened? The prophet is in rebellion to God, but what is he actually doing? He's prophesying of who God is. He's explaining and revealing the glory of God and who He is, even in His rebellion. Even in His rebellion. He was down. He, was, he didn't care about God, but He knew the truth. And so He proclaims that God is the Lord of heaven and who made the sea and the dry land. Beloved, this is so important for us to understand. We know that God is sovereign and He's in control of everything because He made everything. He's the creator of all things. And isn't it ironic that here we have the prophet saying, He made everything. The sea's happening like this because He made everything. And I fear Him. I'm a fear of this Yahweh God that made it all. The events had brought Jonah to the place where he even proclaimed God's sovereignty. Yet he would not obey. It's as if, I know he's Lord, but I'm not going to submit. Have you all had those occasions in your life? 
Oh, so many times. How many times have we known truth, but yet refused to obey truth? In our hearts, we know who's Lord, we know who's God, and we say in our hearts, Nope, I know who you are, but I'm not going to obey you. Oh, beloved, I think this is more of us than you think. I think we're all a little bit more like Jonah than we think. <coughs> Jonah explained that God is of heaven and he made the sea and the dry lands. This is one of those cases where knowing truth and even proclaiming truth doesn't guarantee a heart that is right with God. Ooh, that's a scary thought and I want you to listen to me, beloved. How many times do we know truth, proclaim truth, but yet in our own hearts we're not submitting to the truth? Shocking, isn't it? Jonah says, in effect, Yahweh is sovereign God over everything because he created everything. Yet even knowing this did not cause Jonah to repent at the moment. Even at this point, he hasn't repented yet. He hasn't turned to God. He's on this ship. He should have cried out and said, God, have mercy. I'm a sinner. We'll turn the ship around. Don't kill these people. Turn around. But no. He knows truth, speaks truth, but won't sur surrender to truth. God's prophet is, a, is preaching to pagans at the same time he's ignoring himself as he speaks wow that's that's that i don't doesn't that humble us all do you realize that you can know and speak truth and yet not be living it in your own heart at the same time but god is sovereign he proclaims it he made it he's in control of it next we see he is Lord over all human effort to stop nature. <laughs> this is interesting. Look at verse 13. However, the man, the men, rowed desperately to return to land, but they could not, for the sea was becoming even stormier against them. <coughs> you can see the pagan sailors were understanding who they were up against. They started to understand they fully embraced Jonah's explanation of God's sovereignty, and they, uh-oh, we need to get to land. They decide they have a rebellious prophet in their midst and in their boat, and this puts them in the crosshairs of God. Do you see the irony of this? This is amazing. Yet, you have the prophet preaching truth, and the people saying, okay, yes, your God is the one true God. Row, we got to get this guy back to land. And yet, God continues to make it worse on them. So they weren't quite convinced that throwing Jonah was overboard, uh, overboard at this point was the best option. So they tried turning around and heading towards shore. But what's it say in the end of verse 14? Even stormier against them. No, you're not going to do it the way you want to do it, even if you have a good idea. If God wants it done His way, it's going to be done His way because He's sovereign. You know, we talk a lot about the sovereignty of God, but do you understand what knowing the sovereignty of God means? 
a great responsibility for his people. Knowing that God is sovereign means that we should be the most obedient people in the planet. Right? If we understand that God is sovereign, then that means we should be the ones that are submitting to him the most and honoring him the most. Once again, God demonstrates he is Lord, not man. This brings us to another demonstration of God's sovereignty over nation, uh, over nature, and that's found in verse 17. <coughs> he is Lord over fish. We know this, don't we? We know it from the moment that he uh, said, cast the nets on the other side, too, right? And he caught, they caught a whole bunch of fish. He can catch small fish, and he can also, what, have a big fish swallow a man. So, how many times have you read through this story or mentioned this story to somebody and they go, a fish swallowed a man? And they kind of give you that, yeah, right. Well, beloved, unlike one preacher that I heard, and I don't even like to call him a preacher, but he preached through this passage and said basically, oh, this is just one giant fable. A big fable to try to get the people to understand no, it really happened. You know, if, if God can create the world in six days, guess what? He can have a fish swallow a man and keep him alive. That's not a problem. God is able to do these things. By the, wall, by the way, he made a donkey talk, didn't he? If he can make a donkey talk, can he make a fish swallow a man? Yes. God is sovereign. He created the laws of nature and science and all these things. He is completely able to break those if he wants. And he can make them work the way he wants them to work. He can flood the whole world and every mountain can be covered up by all the sea, all the water. And I'm okay with that. You should be too. The people on the ship get it. They know he's sovereign. And I guarantee you, and Jonah was reminded when he was swallowed by the fish and lived there for three days. It's very interesting here. This Hebrew word in verse 17, I love this word. It's mentioned four times in the book of Jonah. It's the Hebrew word translated appointed. He appointed, the Yahweh appointed a great fish to swallow. It's interesting. The word literally means to ordain or prepare or to appoint. The same Hebrew word is used four times in Jonah. Like I mentioned, God ordained or appointed a, or prepared a fish, a plant, a worm, and an east wind. Boy, that covers all of nature, doesn't it? God ordained a plant, a worm, an east wind, and a fish. He's in control of it all. He's in control of the little bacteria going on or whatever isn't going on in my body right now. He's in control of all these things. He is Lord. And we submit to Him. And if we don't, guess what? He can use the very things that He's sovereign over to get our attention to get us to do it. Which is what He's doing. He's using His sovereign lordship over everything to cause us to understand who He is so that we will submit to Him so that we will embrace Him, so that we will glorify Him as we were made to do. 
These events reveal the extensive control God has over everything, right? He controls the largest animals to the smallest of things. This is important to understand. He controls everything. He uses everything to accomplish His work. <coughs> I think sometimes, and again, I'm not saying, and listen closely, I'm not saying that we don't ignore doctors and ignore things like that. No, you use doctors. God has ordained those to help us and things like that. We also don't go all the way to the other extreme. Some of y'all that are the real natural people, I love you. Uh, I heard this week that if you buy uh, milk, and I need to research this. I'm going to ask somebody this weekend about this. That if you buy milk that's raw, it's actually against the law. Ah, we'll find out. We're going to find out. If it's against the law, what's that mean? Thank you for the water. Right when, right when Wes is coming up, too. If, oh, yeah. Well, that means we're not supposed to drink it, right? Very interesting. We're going to talk about this. I think it's very important for us to understand who's in control. Not us. God is in control of all these things. We have to be careful, beloved. Again, disobedience is often saying, I refuse to submit to God's lordship over our lives. No matter what it is, he's in control. I get myself in trouble when I start actually showing these things, how they might apply. But it's the truth. God used Jonah's disobedience as a setting to demonstrate his own lordship over everything, despite his prophet's disobedience. So first we see God demonstrated he was sovereign over nature. Second we see God demonstrated he was sovereign over other gods. Look at it, verse 2, or the second point, verse 5. God is sovereign over other gods. Look at verse 5, this is great. The false gods of the were introduced. Then the sailor became the sailors became afraid, and every man cried to his God, and they threw the cargo which was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone below into the hold of the ship, laid down and fallen asleep. We got a sleeping prophet. Every man, notice, however, cried to his God. Boy, this is a beautiful setup. Again, what's the setup? The setup is this. God is going to actually show that he is sovereign over these false gods of these men, too. The setting is amazing. We have a, a prophet of God, the one true God who created everything. God tells him, go this direction and tell these people that are following after a false god to repent. He tells him to go that way. The prophet says, no, nope, ain't going that way. Not going to do it. I'm going this way. Gets him on a ship, and he's on a ship with a bunch of guys that serve other gods, false gods. And in the process, as he's going this way, God shows that he is Lord over their gods too. So in the process, he's going to end up saving people going the opposite direction from where he was going. What a God! This is the creator. This is the sovereign one that says, in a sense, 
I am Lord over everyone's God because those are no God gods and I'm the only true God. And we see it here. Every man cried to his God. They're all set up. They're ready, aren't they? Do you know what this reminded me of? Who came the two prophets before Jonah? The first was Elisha, and the one before that was Elijah. What happened with Elijah? Y'all know the story. Remember where the prophets call out to their gods? And Elijah mocks them. Where are they? They must be asleep. You know Jonah knew this. You know Jonah had all this there. These guys are crying out to their false gods. And God is going to show that he is Lord over even their gods. Notice the false gods didn't answer. In verse 6, So the captain approached Jonah, who was asleep, and said, How is it that you are sleeping? Get up! Call on your God! Perhaps your God will be concerned about us so that we will not perish. <coughs> the captain saw that his God and all the other gods of all the other men were what? False. They weren't real. So he goes down to the guy that's sleeping and says, Hey, get up! Call out to your God! Do you see the irony here? The irony of the heathens calling the prophet to pray. Oh, this is shocking. It's like everything you think. It's the opposite. The unbelievers are saying, the unbelieving captain is saying, Prophet, talk to God. <laughs> when it should be what? The prophet should be saying to the people, Call out to God. Hmm. Now make application. Do you know most of you in this room understand the sovereignty of God pretty good? You've probably heard this story numerous times, huh? How many times have we known all these truths, but yet we still worry, we complain, we grumble, and we don't serve the king? How many times do we find ourselves just like Jonah? The heathens are beginning to see that Yahweh is sovereign over all. The unbelievers know God is sovereign. The prophet knows God is sovereign. However, the unbelievers respond correctly, but the believer doesn't. Let's look. So what happens? The pagans turn away from their gods and question the prophet of God. Look at verse 8. This is amazing. Then they said to Jonah, Tell us now, on whose account has this calamity struck? What is your occupation? And where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? What was that? Okay. This was like one of those gigantic open doors for the gospel. Right? One of those that opens up and says, Tell us who your God is. Tell us what you're all about. I want to hear about him because obviously you are serving the right one and something's happening. Explain it to us. What are you doing, they're saying to him. 
And what does the prophet say? Notice verse 9. The prophet acknowledges God's sovereignty over all in his statement. He says, I fear the Lord, Yahweh, God of heaven. Again, knowing God is sovereign and obeying do not always line up. Understanding truth doesn't always show itself in obedience. But it should. And it calls us to. God is in the process here of mercifully turning Jonah around to obey him. And at the same time, he's going to turn around some sinners and have them repent and believe too. Look at this. So we've seen God is sovereign over nature. And we've seen God is sovereign over other gods. Finally, we see God is sovereign over sinners. Look at verses 10 to 16. <coughs> God is sovereign over sinners. Then the men became extremely frightened. And they said to him, How could you do this? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. So they said to him, What should we do? to you that the sea may become calm for us. For the sea was becoming increasingly stormy. He said to them, Pick me up and throw me into the sea. Then the sea will become calm for you. For I know that on account of me, this great storm has come upon you. Isn't this amazing? I, 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 I love this passage. So amazing to see how God is showing mercy on these people. And these people are actually getting it, even though the prophet still isn't getting it. Now, an amazing twist of God's, <coughs> God's sovereignty, he saves the least likely to show he's in control. He demonstrates he's even sovereign over those who get mercy and those who don't. And I cannot stress this enough to you. Listen to me closely. This is a setup. God is actually answering Jonah's concern. He's saying the same thing that he's going to say in chapter 4. He's saying, in effect, I can give mercy to whom I choose to give mercy to. He's showing it by demonstration. Look, you're on a ship going to Tarshish, and I can save who I want to save. I can even save these people on the ship if I want to. I can give mercy to whom I give mercy. And I can give grace to whom I give grace. And I can also give judgment to whom I give judgment. Because who's in control? God. But Jonah doesn't completely get it. The men see Jonah's God is Lord over all. And they repent, it appears. It says they feared exceedingly. What is the beginning of wisdom? Fear. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. They begin to see it. Second, they even rebuke the prophet for his disobedience. This is comical. The ones that were in rebellion against God, the pagans are now embracing and fearing God. And what do they do? They actually rebuke the man of God. They say, how could you do this? <laughs> All of the parents in the room have had these kind of moments, right? Where our, parent, our kids just graciously say something to us and we go, oh, yeah. I should be honoring God 
uh, disobeyed. Right? If you haven't, maybe you need to listen to your kids more. I know my wife has done it to me numerous times. Folks, this is the way it is. God is sovereign over all, and he uses people and saves people to rebuke us and to call us to serve him. Notice they say, they, in verse 11, they seek the man of God's word. They seek the man of God's word. So they said to him, what should we do to you that the sea may become calm for us? What did they just do? They just said, give us the word of God to a prophet. He's a prophet of God, and they say, give us the word of God. Tell us what we're supposed to do. If you're a prophet, then that means what? You know what's special revelation, what should happen, and what I'm supposed to do. So they have completely repented. They're saying, give me the word to the prophet that's disobeying. <coughs> then the men are caught in this perplexing situation. They attempt to save the man. Row harder. Turn around. Let's go for sure. That doesn't help, does it? So as not to be responsible for his death. You can see their, their, their paradox, right? What are they thinking? They're thinking, hey, this guy is a prophet of God, the one that made all this. This is happening because of that God. This guy, when he speaks, it really happens. Well, by the way, that guy that said that, that uh, this didn't really happen and it was all just one big parable said there was only a, one prophecy in the whole thing. I disagree. Jonah just prophesied right there. Throw me into the water. And the water will come what? Become calm. He's prophesying. He knows the truth. But he's disobeying. And unrepentant. And the men are caught in this perplexing situation. Notice verse 13. However... The men rowed desperately to return to land, but they could not, for the sea was becoming even stormier against them. Then they called on the Lord. They called on Yahweh and said, We earnestly pray, O Yahweh, do not let us perish on account of this man's life and do not put innocent blood on us. For you, Yahweh, have done as you have pleased. Wow, what a pronouncement of God's sovereignty by these pagans from a foreign land. They pronounce and say almost, almost identical to what the Psalms say. You are Lord and you do whatever you please. They're saying it. This is the answer to the prophet. Look. What is this, beloved? This is a rebuke to all of us. This is all of us. We are the prophet in the sense that we have all this knowledge, but we're, when we disobey, we're going against what we know is true. And these guys get it. God is granting mercy and grace to these sailors, these pagans. Finally, seeing that this is not going to change the Lord's response, they seek God when Jonah wasn't. And they pray. They call out to God. Who was the most wicked on the boat? <laughs> That's a great question, isn't it? 
Who was the most wicked person on the boat? Well, it appears that all of them are repenting. The only one left on the boat that's still wicked is who? Jonah, the prophet, that knows the truth and tells them what to do. Boy, this should be a slap, right? You getting it? Is there any application for us? Oh, so much application for us. We harbor bitterness in our hearts and we don't look like people of God that we should. They acknowledge His Lordship. The pagans do. They obey Jonah's words even. And they throw him overboard. Now some people have argued and complained. Was it wrong what he did? No, I think it was an act of judgment and they were obeying God. They came to the place, hey, this guy's a prophet. He knows what he's saying. He says what he's supposed to do. He told us to throw him over. We prayed. We sought the Lord. We did what he said to do. He's out. I don't think that's disobedience. I think that's obedience. I think they followed the word of the Lord that was speaking through Jonah, the prophet. It was judgment. It was discipline, right? Hey, by the way, that works, doesn't it? That works because this. God can use people, pagans, people that you would least expect to discipline you. To get you to what? Trust the Lord. Obey the Lord. Oh, beloved, we need this. They obey Jonah's words and they throw him in in verse 15. Then upon seeing how the sea becomes calm, they commit to the Lord. I love this. Verse 16 then the men feared the Lord greatly, and they offered a sacrifice to Yahweh and made vows. I think at this point, you got to save ship before you save Nineveh. Oh, do you see the mercy of God here? What a good God, right? You've got a, a prophet that is disobeying and hating God, going in the opposite direction in his disobedience to get away from the pagans that are rejecting God in Nineveh and Assyria. He's going as fast as he can the opposite direction, and in the process, he jumps on a ship full of what? More pagan people. More unbelievers. Now, I want you to think for a second. Where was the best place for those pagan people to be? Right in that ship. <laughs> where was the best place for Jonah to be? Back on land doing what God told him to do. But God was working despite him. Oh, how much we need to know this. Aren't you glad? I'm thankful that often God works despite me. He's constantly working despite me. And how many times do I blow it, but he keeps on working despite me? And I blow it in front of my kids, and then I repent, and they go, Oh, yeah. And they get a little bit more of a glimpse of who God is. Because it's not about us. God didn't need Jonah. God didn't need Jonah. But by the grace of God, God used Jonah and showed mercy on these sailors going the other direction. He saves them and he will save those in Nineveh. So this is hard to understand completely. But God showed he was sovereign even while the sinning prophet was rebelling against him. Think about the setting again. 
everything seems to be backwards. But God is working in a great way. Let me ask you a question, beloved. Do you understand that God is working in your life? Do you understand that even when you blow it, God is working in your life? Do you understand that God loves you and God is merciful and God is gracious and all He wants you to do is bow your knee to Him? He wants you to submit to His sovereign rulership over your life. He wants you to embrace it. Now we can fight and we can kick against it our whole entire lives, but at the, in the end of the day, at the end of the day, that's not going to change that He's still God over your life. He's sovereign over everyone. He's sovereign over everything. And He's sovereign over every religion. He is God and we are not. That's the message. So what kind of application? Well, here's the application. Do you understand that every time you sin, you're saying no to His sovereignty? You're saying, no, you will not be Lord over me. So what's that call us to do? Repent. Turn to Him. Trust Him. Obey Him. Two, we must trust God to work the way He wants to work even if it doesn't make sense to us. Isn't this so much us? I hear this all the time. Why don't we do this and this and do this? And Everybody has great plans and great ideas. But often, those are just disguises of a, a heart that's not trusting the Lord. We need to embrace God's control over our life. God doesn't work the way we think often. He worked in a way here that's just totally contrary to anything that we would think. But yet he was having mercy on these pagan sailors going the opposite direction. <clears throat> think about this one second. <coughs> Israel was in rebellion. The northern tribes were in rebellion. They had two, they had two places of worship. And at the two places in worship in Israel, where Jonah was serving, they had cows. They had erected cows to worship, just like previously. So you have two cows that they're worshiping in Israel. Where's the best place to be? It ain't there. Promise. It's down in Judah, in the temple. You need to go back there. The unfortunate thing is it was bad down there, too. Where was the best place for these pagans to go? Well, the best place for them to be would be actually in Nineveh, where God was deciding to give grace to a people. Instead, they were going the opposite direction. <laughs> so what does God do? He still saves these people going the opposite direction in the process of bringing Jonah back to Nineveh so he could save some people over there. Oh, wow. God does things totally opposite of the way we think. Doesn't he? We need to trust him. We need to trust him. And finally, we must beg him to give us hearts that long to serve him and obey him even when it doesn't make sense. Look, folks, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I know I've been a little harsh today. Some of it's because my voice is going away, so hang in there. 
But I understand we live in a really, really, really wicked place. I understand that there's a lot of bad things that happen in this world. And I understand that people treat you really bad at work, your neighbors. You watch TV for 15 minutes and you see how bad it is. It's wicked, isn't it? But if there's one lesson you can get from today, and this is the one thing you take home, your environment, your culture, your community, the way people treat you, your experiences, don't determine how you should obey God. If all the world crashes down and everybody in this room leaves God, God forbid, and it's just me, I am responsible to what? Obey God. I have to serve Him. I have to obey Him. I have to submit to Him. I have to serve Him with all my heart. That's what I'm required to do. And all of you are too. If this whole church fell apart, you're still responsible for you. And God is sovereign over all. So if I were you, I would bow the knee to Him. And embrace Him. Because He's your only hope. So how well do we do that? Not very well, right? That's why Jesus came into the world. He came into the world because we are sinners in need of a Savior. We're, need, we're in need of a rescue. A rescue because we are dead in our sin apart from God. And Jesus came into the world to die to pay for sinners like you and me. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for showing us that you are sovereign over everything. We pray, Lord, that you will help us bow our knees to you. Help us, Lord, if there's any in here that have a heart of disobedience and a rebellious heart. Help us, Lord, to repent and turn to you, fear you, acknowledge you, and honor you and obey you as we should. This only happens by your amazing grace. We pray that you will give us this grace. We pray, Lord, that <coughs> we pray that today will be the day that we proclaim you. We honor you. Thank you for Christ. Thank you for his death on our behalf. His righteousness credited to our account is our only hope. We love you, Lord, and we commit our time to you. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.